Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Mental health news from around the globe. I'm your host, Timmy G. Today's lone news article coming from NME.com. Bruce Springsteen has opened up about his issues with mental health in a revealing new interview. Speaking to Esquire magazine, Springsteen discussed his first breakdown at the age of 32, which occurred in 1982 during the release of his album, Nebraska. Despite still not knowing the trigger for the breakdown, Springsteen told Esquire that aging and his childhood played a part. He says, All I do know is that as we age, the weight of our unsorted baggage becomes heavier, much heavier. Long ago, the defenses I built to withstand the stress of my childhood to save what I had of myself outlived their usefulness, and I've become an abuser of their once life-saving powers. He goes on to say, I relied on them wrongly to isolate myself, seal my alienation, cut me off from life, control others, and contain my emotions to a damaging degree. Now the bill collector was knocking, and his payment will be in tears. As a teenager, Springsteen said discovering music helped to combat some of the early stages of his depression caused in part through a difficult relationship with his father, who was also suffering from mental health issues. Springsteen says, When I was a child and into my teens, I felt like a very, very empty vessel. And it wasn't until I began to fill it up with music that I began to feel my own personal power and my impact on my friends and the small world that I was in. I began to get some sense of myself, but it came out of a place of real emptiness. He continues, My mother was kind and compassionate, very considerate of others' feelings. She trod through the world with purpose, but softly, lightly. All those were the things that aligned with with my own spirit and who I was. They came naturally to me. My father looked at all those things as weaknesses. He was very dismissive of primarily who I was. And that sends you off on a lifelong quest to sort through that. Now, Springsteen said he knows the warning signs of mental illness more and can recognize them quickly. I've come close enough to mental illness where I know I am not completely well myself. I've had to deal with a lot of it over the years, and I'm on a variety of medications that keep me on an even keel. Otherwise, I can swing rather dramatically and just the wheels can come off a little bit. So we have to watch in our family. I have to watch my kids, and I've been lucky there. It ran in my family going back uh, way before my dad. Later in the interview, Springsteen also talks about suffering with agitated depression and of struggling after a close friend who he described as like an older son to me died from suicide. He got very, very ill, so ultimately, it always remains a mystery, those last moments. I always say, well, somebody was in a bad place, and they just got caught out in the rain. Another night, another way, someone else there, it might not have happened. They were ill, and they got caught out in the rain. I don't know anyone who's ever explained satisfactorily the moments that lead up to someone taking that action. So can I understand how that happens? Yes. I think I felt just enough despair myself to, you know, pain gets too great, confusion gets too great, and that's your out. But I don't have any great insight into it, and in truth, I've never met anyone who has. Meanwhile, the first trailer for Netflix's upcoming Springsteen on Broadway concert film was released recently, 
uh, special was filmed during Springsteen's current run at the Walter Kerr Theater in New York and will be available on the streaming platform from December 16th, a day after the Broadway show comes to an end. In the trailer, Springsteen is seen sharing anecdotes and stories with the crowd, including how he met bandmate and wife Patty Scalfa outside famed New Jersey venue The Stone Pony and about his relationship with his father. Later he jokes, Everybody has a love-hate relationship with their hometown. Take me. I'm Mr. Born to Run. I currently live 10 minutes from my hometown. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating campus community radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. Its board of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston Community. Learn more about CFRC, Canada's longest-running campus and community radio station at CFRC. Telephone Aid Line Kingston is a crisis, distress, befriending, and information listening service based in Kingston. Talk is confidential, non-judgmental, and anonymous. We are a safe place to call when you don't know where to turn. To reach our aid line between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m., call 613-544-1771. For volunteering information, please email talkrecruitment at gmail.com. Let's get personal. Our talk feature interview. Today I'm pleased to welcome Liz Laflemme. Liz, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, well, thank you for asking if there was anyone out there who would like to do an interview. <laughs> That's great. So maybe take us back in time before we get into the the thick of things. Maybe take us back in time and tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what your earlier days were like. Okay. Um, I am... Um, the middle child of five children in our family. Um, my father was in the military, so we did move around quite a bit. Um, I think it was probably every couple of years or so. Um, um, my brothers and sisters and I are, I guess I would say several years apart, three and four years apart. So I, I don't recall there being a big connection with any one of my brothers and sisters as I as I grew up in my younger years. Um, so I think I entertained myself a lot, and um, I believe I had a lot of energy, and I think often I recall being told to, um, Elizabeth, Settle down, Elizabeth. Be quiet. <laughs> so um, it's vivid in my memory. So I'm assuming that I was quite an active child and wanted to be listened to. And um, um, as the years went on, um, the next I'm thinking of in my memory are my teen years. And I do recall being very outspoken, um, wanting to be heard feeling like I had something to say or something to offer and that I was intelligent. Um, so there, I believe I remember butting heads quite a bit with my parents, especially my mother. Um, things needed to be done a certain way, and that was the way it was. So, mm-hmm. um, And I, being creative myself, and that did come out somewhat in my teen years, I recall, and um, I think I just had so many ideas I wanted to, 
you know, talk about and, and do, but they didn't, they didn't go along with the plan I, I felt mm-hmm. that um, my mom had for, um, for how we were to behave. And, and, and I, and I think I understand that now and seeing how parenting has changed so much, even for myself, that, um, our parents didn't have all the, uh, um, information out there that we have to help us guide us through those years. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and, di- and did your enthusiasm, I'll describe it as enthusiasm, uh, did, it, yeah. did it present any troubles at school? At school? No, I, no, because I, on the other hand, I recall being shy at school. So, um, there was only one incident I remember, um, and it was probably maybe about grade two or three that uh, the little girl who sat in front of me was the daughter of one of the teachers. And this girl kept turning around and tried to talk with me, and I kept saying, no, turn around. I." I don't want to get in trouble. Turn around. And, of course, when the teacher turned around, I was the one making the noise. (laughs) And I remember her telling me that she wanted me to be quiet and to stop talking. But I insisted that it was this other girl who was being the bothersome one. Mm -hmm. And... She, the teacher came to my desk, and I remember getting wrapped on the knuckles, and she said, you have to go out in the hall. And I kept being very adamant that it wasn't me that was causing it. I was just trying to get her to turn around. So I, I think my stubbornness showed then. That's, I think that's the only time in school. But other than that, I was always very... Um, Pretty quiet. Um, mm-hmm. Being studious, being you know an academic, no. But um, any creative side, I flourished in, and I think phys ed class. So I had lots of energy. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's and the, mm-hmm. and for for our listeners today, uh, Liz has been through some very significant things over the past few years, which we will get into in a minute. Um, as you were progressing through childhood, teen, teen years, high school, even early 20s, was there any uh, indication during the first 25 years of life or so that when you think back now, uh, there was an, a bit of foreshadowing that you might experience some 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 issues later on. No, I well, I I think the only other thing that I felt that was missing that I maybe was um, looking for was um, the feeling of being loved at being, you know, someone special, someone, you know, who mattered. So I think I really dove into friendships and um, maybe made some bad choices along the way just to feel that, um, that love. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if that relates to where I went later in life. Mm-hmm. And and when would have been your earliest memory of of that cognition around? You know, I I want to feel something that I haven't been feeling. Um, I would say late teens, early twenties. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we'll just kind of put that yeah. in our back pocket for a minute, and we'll because it. I mean, it it may have some pretty serious significance. You never know. It's hard to know, but. Right. Um, it's, there's so many nuances to our path that sometimes it's hard to make connections, but other things are very obvious. So, so you're, you're cruising through life in a way you come from a, sounds like a 
you know, a good family. It was. Stable yeah. family. Um, no major, major issues growing up. And then you get into later years and three years ago, what, leading up to the last three years, what did you see start to shift and how did that impact that your first episode, right. what you're going to describe for us? Right, right. So I, leading up to that one, um, those were the years when uh, our three children um, had gone off to college and then were finding their own way. And I went from being very hands-on, not a helicopter mom, but very hands-on mom. And um, that was my career through through their childhood years. And then all of a sudden, that part of my life just faded out, that, that giving part. And um, I had started to question, what am I going to do? And, and before it all happened, it was the thoughts were, wow, I can't wait till they're gone. I can do whatever I want and have all this time. Mm. But, but that it, it felt empty for a while. And so I just started filling it with um, getting together with people or, you know, projects. My project board started to pile up. And um, I think I just was filling it full of stuff to do in the future. And then um, the children graduated, all did very well, and um, we were, you know, very proud of them. Then their lives began with them meeting their significant others, and then we started planning weddings, and um, that was a very busy time. And with the creative side, we just dove right into, you know, getting everything done for these weddings. In one year, we had two, uh, two of the children got married in one year. So I was really putting out, putting out, putting out. And I think once they happened, um, I just couldn't help. I couldn't find a way to help myself calm down from all that busyness. And then that just developed into um, myself having um, sleepless nights. I'd wake up with my heart racing, and for the first time, I thought I was dying and called ambulance, and they came and, and checked everything out, and it was, it was, as they say, it was nothing serious. So um, I went about my days, but with that in the background, so it started to consume my thoughts. And what if, you know, when I go to bed tonight, is it going to happen again? And um, then it, it, those physical sensations just started to become more common. And um, But I believe it was due to um, what I describe now is, on those times, I, my... Um, stress levels would build up and I could, I'd say I feel my body buzzing inside and I never, I never was able to bring that um, agitation down to a calm level and I, I believe that that's why I ended up having this happen over and over again. So I ended up seeing my doctor, and I did go on medication. Um, I did take, um, I, I practiced yoga. I was seeing a psychiatrist. I was seeing, um, well, my family doctor. And, um, but I got, through that three years ago, I got to a point where every day I felt like I was in panic mode. 
and I, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and just everything kind of um, snowballed and the walls started coming down. So I told my husband one night this was happening that I, I couldn't stay at home. I had to I had to go to the hospital and I ended up um, registering myself to stay at the hospital and um, work some things out. So when you first started to go through some of the stress, did it seem like you were, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but you're going through a bit of an identity crisis when your kids left home? And I, I think so. I think my um, expectations, which I don't like to do, but my thoughts on what my future would be without them at home, in the beginning was, oh, I have so many things I want to do, and now I have all the time. However, there wasn't that other that other giving that I did. Mm-hmm. And I was I was missing it, and I miss them. They're really cool kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you go in the hospital. You check yourself in. Right. You're there for two months. Right. And while you're there, in the early part part of that. It's discovered that you have breast cancer, so you're dealing with right. that on top of trying to work through this anxiety and stress that's come into your life. Right. And how did, if you can think back, I mean, how did you process, how did you make sense of that as it was happening? Did, like the inner dialogue, did you ever think, oh my gosh, why me? I'm dealing with enough junk already and now I've got breast cancer? Or like what was going on inside you? Um. Um, I don't think I did the woe is me thing. I, my, my mother had dealt with that. So with the breast cancer. So I, I think it maybe wasn't so much a surprise. Um, so it was, well, then I just have to do what I have to do to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I don't, That didn't, the breast cancer didn't feel so much a burden as much as the anxiety and the depression that I had. Because the breast cancer, I couldn't feel it. It wasn't a sore, it wasn't some nagging thing. Whereas the other was so much of my daily, um, happening just you know I'd get up and I would just feel horrible and like physically and, and just my brain was all fuzzy and and we the, the doctors were doing the roller coaster ride with trying to find out what meds would work for me and to help me come through and the, I went I went into hospital at the end of yeah, the end of May, and came out the Friday before our daughter's wedding. And that Friday date was kind of a goal for my doctors in the hospital to have me up and running by that date. So it was quite a roller coaster to find which meds would work at that point. And, and was the focus specifically around anxiety? Yes. And so when yes. you're when you were, I think it's interesting when people go into the hospital and they're they're there for an extended stay. Um, did, was there any part of you that was like felt relieved that you were, you know, in a hospital that you were being taken care of? Was there was there any part of you that felt like you could kind of even though you were dealing with this new new discovery of breast cancer and, and yes. issues are compounding, but was there any part of you that felt like a, a little bit relieved that I can I don't have to deal with the daily stresses of life for a while. Right. I can just be here and not worry about yes. that stuff? Very much, very much. And I think um, I probably ended up staying 
that long due to the diagnosis of the breast cancer and having um, all my uh, biopsy dates and surgery dates and all that thing ironed out while I was in hospital. Mm -hmm. So things moved along quite quickly. Um, but yes, having, having an amazing staff around um, and people to talk with and, you know, different connections to make um, did make me feel much better. Well, I think for a lot of people out there, it's in many ways, so many people are in survival mode and, and right. dealing with the bills and dealing with just all the energy, mental, physical, emotional energy that's required just to stay alive and be a human being in this world. Right. And I think there's a lot of people that could probably benefit from like taking some time away from all the the responsibility and everything that we just it's just part of our evolution. You you get older, you become an adult, you've got a job now, maybe you own a home or you or whatever. You've got kids and there are all these different things that just get continually get added to the plate and certainly we're very resilient and we stretch to to accommodate all those changes and we're very adaptable but I feel like there's a lot of people out there that could benefit from just like I just need like a couple months to like check out and be somewhere where I don't have to worry about all that and really truly like have some downtime where it's not constantly nagging at me correct yes yes I don't know if the hospital is the best, yeah. <laughs> the best choice. <laughs> For me, that was where I needed to be, yes. But I agree very much on that. I have a friend who's... And in... not feel guilty about it. Yeah, that's the other thing. The, yeah. the, the guilt, yeah. right? Like, it it does no one any good if no. you take that time and yet there's that, that part of you that just won't let you settle because your your mind is just eating away at you and you know we got to get back to this and so it's not your body never really gets a a, a real chance to kind of just be down because uh -huh. uh -huh. you're still amped maybe you're not amped at 90 which is your daily op, at daily mo but maybe now you're at you're still at 30 but 30 is still a long ways from zero so uh -huh. anyway um so you're there for two months and your doctors get you out for, mm -hmm. for the wedding? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And how did all that unfold? Um, I, I was still pretty fragile. Um, I, um, I hadn't been around people very much other than just at hospital, and um, I would go out during my days while I was there. I was permitted to go outside, so I would go for least two walks in the day and and I would see people then but not um, around a big group of people and also I had a quite a quite a strict schedule as far as okay this is when I'm going to take this meds and this is the time I'm going to take this meds and and I don't want to change that and it kind of cramped the um, the evening of the wedding, whereas I wasn't up to staying past, you know, dinner time and speeches, and and I I felt a little disappointed about that, but I knew I wouldn't be able to stay, and hmm. they pushing it because I, that hadn't been my schedule to, you know, go a little further than my usual day, so, um, but it was a lovely day. And everyone was so loving and caring and, and just, yeah, it was, it was really quite beautiful. So this was about three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was August in 2015. And then when does episode two happen? Episode two happens probably 2014. Okay, there was the wedding, but there was also in that, in 2014, babies 
<laughs> grandbaby. Mm. So it, there was another part added, and that, again, um, putting myself out there for them. And then, for me, the worry started as far as, um, oh, moms and dads, and new moms and dads, and what they have to deal with, and, and how how are they coping, and how much can I help, and eat to ease, you know, any of their difficulties, and just that thought process of always coming back to wanting to be there for them, and wanting to be there for them, but but not to be overbearing, but just offer myself to help out. And with doing that, um, my thought process started doing the hamster wheel again. And um, the another thought coming in was, oh, um, it's so costly for young people these days, and um, often two, the, the, both couple, both people in the couple have to get out there and work somewhat to help make ends meet. And would I be able to be the daycare? And then realize, no, I couldn't. But how else could I help? And um, at some point feeling bad that I couldn't be the helper like so many other grandparents are but I knew that physically and mentally I couldn't mm-hmm. um, but but again you know in the back of my mind pretty much always and um did you feel yeah. guilt, guilty about that? Um, somewhat, somewhat. I just, I think I just, I don't know if it was guilty. I guess I could say guilty. Yeah. That I wasn't made of good stuff that I could be the one that could do double time and, you know, still be a wife and the, the grandmother mm-hmm. did did everything um yeah and that i think that played on me for a time and then again brought about the same physical sensations about the heart palpitations the losing sleep um and just started again so it was only within Gosh, I'm thinking maybe eight months a year again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but did it did not go back into the hospitals. Decided to push through on my own and try to um, do what I could do. I took on doing um, some CBT for uh, a, a time. Um, then was seeing a psychiatrist and um, through Hotel Dew Hospital. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and a social worker. And so I was trying to get as many tools helping me as I could and um, eventually did come through that one again. However... <laughs> Um, I believe in that, for that one, I believe meds also were tweaked a bit Mm -hmm. to help in that process or changed, um, to find something. So that's number two. Number two. Okay. Yeah. Is it, is it fair to say that at this point in your life with these, these two episodes and all that was going on that you were almost being forced in a way to learn how to care for yourself in a different way to. I believe so. I believe so that, 
that there was, but I still felt there was something missing, something not, um, there wasn't a connection that I felt that I was going to come out of it feeling like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be good. This is going to be better. Um, it, it, because the two happened so soon after each other that I, I think in my, the back of my mind was, oh, well, now how long is it going to be this time before it happens again? Mm. So you began to think that as, as second episode started to. Yeah. 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 So I just, Pushed through and and got back into life again, and um, but began to feel that it was becoming a lot easier to say no to people, mm-hmm. and that I didn't have to fill every moment of the day with with something for other people. Um, not that I didn't take care of myself because I do, uh, we, well, I, I take showers. I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 um, I do things that help me, you know, as far as everyday living. Um, but I still felt there was something else and, um, yeah. So you you make it through episode two. You don't go in the hospital. You kind of no. you, you you surround yourself with a variety of different supports, and it it seems to provide enough antidote to keep you going. Yeah. And then and then when does number three hit? Um, it was probably last twenty seventeen, kind of um, Christmas New Year's. Okay. I could feel something. Um, w- there, there was, um, there was an incident uh, among the, our, our our own family that a situation where um, I don't know if I should get it specific. You don't have, you don't to, have to. People um, that that. Um, it, it was, it was mentioned that possibly our attention in regards to, um, a grandchild wasn't as often as was hoped. Okay. Um, and, um, so it, it was something that... I never, or my husband and I never felt that we weren't being there for grandchildren. However, this kind of came out of the blue, mm-hmm. and it, and with what was said was never our intention. That it it hurt very much, and I think that created a bit of a, some tension. And I think then I started to internalize again my dialogue, you know, what what could I have done? What, uh, you know, how can we fix this? How can, you know, how am I going to juggle that and this and make it even? And it, it was kind of a difficult situation. And I think that just added an, an uncertain weight mm-hmm. and I think again again the this worry brought on those um, physical sensations again um, that feeling of being ready for that race ready for that gun to go off and all the time feeling that way mm-hmm. and and just um, 
just ended up taking over and then um, my thought process was oh man not again and um, what what did I you know what have I not done this time I've really gone back to trying to use my tools I've learned and how why am I still going down and um so as your doctors are kind of assessing you and working through different things, did they notice any other physiological changes or things that just weren't quite normal? Yes. Um, I take a thyroid hormone, and I have been taking that for 30-some years. And, and all along, things went very well. However, when stressful times have happened, my, um, my level, hormone levels for my thyroid changed. They seem to spike up, spike down. Um, so we've decided to uh, monitor that more closely instead of once a year going every six months and to make sure things stay in where they should be because this last time um, we noticed that I was, um, with the dose I was taking, I was getting too much of the hormone, which can cause anxiety, can cause heart palpitations, can cause a lot of the same symptoms of anxiety. And um, so we've, um, we tweaked that dosage in the last few months, uh, six days, six months or so, and eventually things came back into the right range. And as that progressed to where I am, I started to feel myself again at a quicker rate. So I guess that's um, something I will need to check on Mm. in the future and so the second episode happens and you're starting to feel internalize some of the the stress of what's going on You're, you're you're going out less and you're finding it more difficult to complete daily tasks that you are accustomed to completing right what are some examples of those things um, I would say um, just getting up in the morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm I'm not one to nap, and even when I was not having sleep at night or very little, I wasn't one to be able to nap during the day. So that kept me awake for long periods of time and that I think I just lost a lot of the energy that I would normally have to just do my day-to-day regular things like like going out and getting the groceries for whatever meals that I had planned and even planning those and thinking you know, having the thought process for what needed to be done just wasn't there. Um, not not really connecting with people unless I really had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Were you depressed? Um, I think I think the word for me would be more discouraged. Mm. I was just discouraged of. And because things had just progressed to that place again and not not knowing what else could I have done. Hmm. And so how long does this period last for where you're kind of a little bit despondent, you're more withdrawn, you're you're feeling discouraged, you're at home a lot? Like how is it weeks? Is it months? No, it's it's probably I let it um, I let that go a long time again, and I would say probably 
two and a half months thinking, I can get out of this. I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. Tomorrow's going to be better. And then after that time, I reached out again to um, my doctor to say that I, I needed to connect up with um, this psychiatrist I had seen before and um, to see if there was something else that I could be doing. Mm-hmm. And through this, was the medication still helping? Um, eventually, yes, it did, except when I did make that, that last dive into this um, down state that things didn't seem to be working. Hmm. And I hadn't really, I hadn't changed anything for quite a while. And then um, the thyroid test came back and that caused us to change that dosage. And then really I didn't change any other um, meds as far as the dose went. And so you start seeing a psychiatrist that you had seen previous. Correct. And was it like a weekly thing, a monthly thing? It was, and just for um, three, three or four, it was a weekly, yeah. And then it was every couple weeks. And how did that help? Um, it, it helped bring things into perspective and maybe just clear my thought process somewhat, um, you know, to help me realize that, you know, my self-talk was not, you know, helping and possibly taking, you know, other routes as far as um, how I dealt with things. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was good to know that I was had someone to go to and talk with. Mm-hmm. What to what do you attribute your ability to make it through your third episode in probably what less than two three years? Yeah, um, it's all that's always a difficult question to answer in that. If I look back, I with each time, each time I've tried mostly the same things to get me through, and this time it just it just seemed to take longer, and I think it's it's something like where where you don't realize that you're starting to feel better again because it only happens with little tiny windows maybe every other day that all of a sudden you're not thinking things like uh, dwelling on things maybe for about five minutes and and it kind of creeps up hmm. for me that's how it was. and then all of a sudden there's a day where it's like for a couple hours I'm not thinking about putting one foot in front of the other. It's just happening. And so it it possibly could have been the changing of the dosage of my thyroid meds that helped ease some of that anxiety feeling. Mm-hmm. And then as that changed over a course of um, weeks, just everything kind of smoothed itself out, getting me to the point where I was, I had lost quite a bit of weight through all this, but not eating and not sleeping, but that started to come back, and um, which caused me to be able to wear my clothes again, whereas before it was, which, which I really enjoy putting together you know, what I'm going to wear. Mm. 
sort of things. I always enjoyed that, but when I had lost all the weight, I wasn't able to, and that would kind of discourage me. So having that coming back and being able to express myself that way was really fun again. And then to the point where I felt really good enough that I would um, head back to my church, and which I had not been to for several months before that. And and on that Sunday, um, you came up to the front of the church and started speaking, and it was like, wow, this, this was the way it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that... That opened another door for me and add, to add to my my toolbox, hmm. which has been really, really great, really wonderful, and very appreciative. You mentioned the word discouraged earlier. Right. I think that's a, a great talking point from the perspective that and I had asked you, for anybody that's just tuning in now, I'd, I'd asked, you know, do you think that you were going through a depression? And you said, well, I probably wouldn't characterize it that way. I would say I was more discouraged by what I was going through. And depression is like this, it just connotates this black cloud, very intangible. But when we're discouraged, it, it just gives off this feeling that I'm, I'm, there's something specific that I'm discouraged about. And in that way, it's more tangible, it's more accessible, and it's more, if it's more accessible, then it's maybe maybe it's not easier, easy, what's the word, easily solved, but at least the starting point is maybe less confusing, or I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, but I, I think the word discouraged, I think, I love that you use that word. Another one, if... I may, another one that I would possibly have used was disappointed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Disappointed in the fact that I had come back to that terrible place after after being through it before and learning different ways to help stay in the moment and keep moving forward and then having it having that come you know back to that spot again Mm -hmm. disappointed disappointed in yourself I think so I think I've always if I've been given a say a task to do I always pride myself in filling you know fulfilling that task and to the best of my abilities and having results and feeling good where this hasn't been that way. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure it does. And so with all that you've discovered about yourself over the last three years, kind of been forced to learn, forced to deal with, learn about right. yourself, how does that affect your approach to dealing with life's disappointments or discouragement? Or I think um, I think I've probably learned that I'm not perfect. Mm. <laughs> I I I can't have super high expectations and expect to achieve that with everything. Mm-hmm. I, and not expect the same of others. Just have a better understanding of what I am capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as it, how, how has it been to transition from perceiving yourself and having certain expectations of yourself on one hand for most of your life to now not being able to run at that speed and, and shift your orientation toward how you live your life. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's 
That's a learning thing. Um, this getting older business has has a way of causing one to slow down, really slow down and look at what's important and what makes what makes you happy and what makes your life worthwhile. And it's, you know, it's not, for me, it's, for me now, it's not, you know, pushing myself to have high expectations that I can't fulfill and not feel bad about it, not feel guilty about it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of younger people, not that you're old, <laughs> but people who are still in their, you know, mid, early to mid working years and, and out there trying to conquer. Yes. They're heading, a lot of people are heading for what you've gone through, not knowing it. I mean, we can't know until the moment is upon us. We're like, oh, geez, I got to look at some things here. But. I do think that there's this terrible expectation placed on people um, in in the lengths that we're pushed to succeed in life mm-hmm. and, and the speed at which we must operate in order to make those things happen, in order to be accepted, in order to accept ourselves, in order to feel validated and worthy and all of that stuff. And it's it's a terrible cost. Uh, and for what? And I think that you've you've pointed out so nicely that you know, this has all kind of sh- shifted your your focus in terms of what's most important in life, and maybe that would be a great way to end today. What is most important to you now? Being with people I love and care about, and also being a good friend, being being in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially when it comes to, say, spending time with grandchildren and not say, oh, I only have to stay here this much time and then I can go home. Not thinking like that. Not that I did think like that, but sure. just just being in that moment and just loving every minute of it. And what what I get back from that is tenfold. And it, it just feels really nice. Liz, thank you so much for sharing a part of your story today. Oh, you're very welcome. I was happy to do it. AMHS KFLA's vocational services connect employers with skilled workers recovering from mental health challenges. This free program offers individual assessments, job preparation training, and placement. Employers are matched with qualified, reliable workers and receive ongoing support for hires as they lead their lives in positive new directions. For more information, call 613-544-1356 or visit amhs-kfla.ca. If you like great music from the 60s and 70s and good covers, listen to Frankly Speaking, music to tickle your memory bone on Fridays at 1 p.m., CFRC Radio. Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addicton in offering confidential, quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388. This has been another edition of Talk with Timmy G on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. If you have any questions or feedback or would like to be featured on the show, please email me at info at timothydgauthier.com. That's info at timothydgauthier.com. 
Every Thursday from 7 to 8.30, I facilitate a free drop-in group called MindWell. It's a support group for anybody dealing with burnout, stress, anxiety. Again, that's every Thursday from 7 to 8.30. The address, 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle. Till next week, be smart, be safe. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.